The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Well, good morning. Let's see if I can take this out. It is uh, wonderful to be with you all, even in this feels like another unusual week, some new twists and turns in front of us. But the Lord is faithful. Uh, as Pastor Dave said, uh, I teach at Bethlehem College and Seminary. I'm also appointed as a global partner, and we'll be sharing about that more after the service. You might as well stay because you can't talk to each other afterwards anyways. So uh, <laughs> I'm getting a big uh, no from Pastor Dave. Okay, maybe I misunderstood something there. Um, <laughs> So as this week went on, uh, I had one introduction queued up to go, one that seemed really clever to me on Wednesday morning. But then, uh, to be honest, I don't know if I have energy for cleverness anymore. As the week went on, I was tired. I was discouraged. Uh, As new restrictions come. I'm not always sure how to lead my family. Not sure how to lead our small group, how to lead in my responsibilities at Bethlehem College and Seminary. I could list all the challenges we've had over the last months. And I I know, though, that uh, many of you have longer and more intense lists that include lost jobs and sickness, and even lost loved ones. So we don't have to play the game of who's had the hardest time since March 13th because uh, we'd all lose. At least that's how it might feel. But in light of new challenges here in Minnesota and in many other places, new changes to what we can and cannot do. I want us to start by considering the question again. In this year, where it feels like everything has changed, what has not changed? Take a moment and think about that. We're all focused, myself included, on 2020, right? Hashtag 2020. I'm not going to do the little thing Pastor Daniel's not here. But, you know, it's almost become a joke, right? We're focused on all the things that have changed, the things we can't do. We forget about what has changed. Or we forget about what has not changed while we're thinking about what has changed. And so as we're walking through the book of Acts for the next several weeks still, we're seeing, we're beginning to see that the mission of Christ and the mission of his church has not changed. The gift of the Holy Spirit has not gone away. Yes, things look different now than they did in the first century, and for that matter, things look different now than they did a year ago. But the authority of Jesus over all things has not moved a single inch. 
And so, I want us to pick up basically right where Pastor Dave left off last week. With the reminder that uh, in in the midst of everything else going on around us, nothing is going to slow the work of the Spirit. A mask will not slow down or stop the work of the Spirit. Neither will a global pandemic, new restrictions, the governor, the president, whatever it is. The work of the Spirit and the authority of Jesus will not be abated. So this week, I want to remind us that the promises of God and the mission of Christ have been moving forward for 2,000 years, and they continue to move forward, regardless of what is happening in the world. None of it is putting a dent in God's ongoing purposes. So we're going to jump back into Acts 2 in a moment with this perspective in mind. The Lord Jesus is on his throne. Jesus is king. In fact, many Christians, many Christian traditions celebrate today, the last Sunday before Advent, as Christ the King Sunday. So it's fitting that we join them to remember that Jesus is king. As we move into the Advent season next week, it's fitting that we're reminded that Jesus reigns as king. God is keeping his promises, and the mission of the church continues. So that's the sermon. I'm still going to actually preach the sermon. (laughs) But that's the sermon. That's where we're going. So let me pray for us, and we'll jump back into Acts 2. Lord Jesus, you are king, and so we hope in you. Give us eyes to see clearly your authority and the mission that you've called us to and to see clearly how we ought to follow you wherever that leads us. So guide us as we dig into your word together. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as we come to our text in Acts 2, Let's remember the setting. This is the day of Pentecost where Jews from all over the Roman Empire have gathered together. There's this unusual scene where they're speaking in tongues and they can understand different languages. So some there say, these guys are drunk. This is inexplicable. It's it's 9 a.m., but they're hitting it hard. Peter stands up with the eleven. And notice, it's not just Peter by himself, but it's all 12 apostles standing up. Kind of like when we have those Q&A sessions with the elders. It's not just Pastor Dave or Pastor Daniel or Pastor David up here by themselves, but it's all the elders. So in the, the same way, all the apostles stand up as the authorized representatives of the Lord Jesus to give the interpretation of what is happening. So they stand up with the authority of Jesus to explain what this outpouring of the Spirit is and its implications for those who are listening, for the church of the Lord Jesus, and yes, even for us here today. So just a little broader context, back in Luke chapter 24, so the end of Luke's gospel, 
the first part of Luke's two-volume work, Jesus told his followers to stay in Jerusalem until they're filled with power from on high, Luke 24, 49. So then here in Acts 2, that promise is fulfilled. The Spirit is poured out. They can understand each other, even though they're speaking many different languages. So what is going on here? So as we walk through this text, and as we really begin walking through Peter's sermon, which will continue in the coming weeks, what what I want to do to help us understand what's going on here is to build one sentence. So this is kind of a convoluted sentence, but one sentence that summarizes our text. And And in this sentence, we want to draw a line from the Old Testament to the day of Pentecost in the first century, and that continues in our ongoing mission in, this na- in our neighborhoods and to the nations. So here's where we're going. If you take notes, this is also the outline. Sorry, I don't put it on the screen. The mission of Christ is planned and proclaimed in the Old Testament, fulfilled on the last day, by the Spirit who is poured out on all the people of God as Jesus establishes his kingdom so that the gospel is proclaimed as good news for all people. Mission of Christ planned, proclaimed in the Old Testament, fulfilled on the last day by the Spirit who is poured out on the people of God as Jesus establishes his kingdom so the gospel is proclaimed as good news for all people. Now, This summary is not a literary masterpiece, and there's nothing particularly new about what I'm saying if you've been around the Bible or church for very long. But as we unpack it, I I hope it's going to help us understand both this text and fill out for us a little more how the Spirit empowers us in our unchanging mission. And it'll also help us see its significance in light of global focus that we had just a few weeks ago and our mission as a church that Pastor Dave pointed us to last week, our mission to spread a passion for the supremacy of God. So we begin in verse 14. As Peter stands up to explain what happens, he points us to the word of God. So we ought to uh, interpret our experience through the word of God. Go figure. Peter's going to remind us that what we see happening in Acts 2 has actually always been a part of God's plan of redemption. It's always been a part of the ongoing work of Christ to redeem a people from among the nations. Now, like I said, some who were watching thought that these folks were drunk. This might remind you of when the priest Eli suspected that Hannah was drunk when she was praying at the temple. Remember that scene in 1 Samuel 1? She was praying, and Eli thought, what's the matter with this lady? She's had too much to drink. Just as in 1 Samuel 1, also in Acts 2, they were wrong. This was a much different spirit at work. And in both texts, God was keeping his promises and moving the plan of redemption along. 
maybe in surprising ways. So Peter says, they're not drunk, but let me tell you what's really happening. God is keeping his promises. God is moving the plan of redemption, the mission of Christ forward, just as we saw in Joel 2. Now, we'll get to the content of Joel's prophecy in just a minute, but first, let let me plant this flag at the very beginning. The mission of Jesus that we trace through Acts, which then becomes our mission, church, and so we map this mission onto our lives, this mission has been planned and proclaimed in the Old Testament. A a moment ago, I, I alluded to Luke 24, where Jesus told his followers to wait until they receive power from on high. In, in the verses just before that, Luke 24, 46 through 48, he also told them that the Old Testament speaks of his death, his resurrection, and the proclamation of his name to the nations. So in Luke's overall story that he's tracing out in Luke and Acts, there's a close link between the outpouring of the Spirit and the mission of the church to the nations, both in Jesus' promise and command to his disciples, but also in the Old Testament, because the Old Testament speaks of both. It speaks of his death, resurrection, and proclamation to the nations, and the Old Testament also speaks of the outpouring of the Spirit the one who empowers this mission. So the mission of Christ to gather his people from among the nations is rooted in the plan of God from the very beginning. It's proclaimed in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament prophets. It's fulfilled through us, the church. And that hasn't changed in 2020, and it will not change until the Lord returns. So before we move ahead, let me just stop and remind us that this should fill us with a lot of confidence. Our mission as a church is not something we invented. And although, yes, we say it in a particular way here, but the reality is this mission is not unique to our church. It's not unique to our denomination. It's not unique to any particular network or group of churches. This is the mission of Christ, the King, who was sent by the Father and who has sent us his Spirit. And so it's a mission that will not fail. And we are called to be a part of it, to participate in this great mission. So the mission of Christ is planned and proclaimed in the Old Testament and then fulfilled in the last day. So here we can go back to Joel, the prophet Joel in the Old Testament and just take a brief glance at the context of this prophecy when the Lord promises to restore his people and the exile, forgive their sin, live among them again. These are the promises of the new covenant that so many of the Old Testament prophets point us toward. And in the midst of this, in Joel chapter 2, verse 27, the Lord says, You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, 
and that I am the Lord your God, and there is no one else. So the Lord promised to dwell among his people again. And so I ask, when did the presence of the Lord return to his people? Or to put it another way, when did the Lord himself come to dwell among us? Well, as we see in the Gospels, as we'll celebrate in the coming weeks, the Lord has come to dwell among us in the person of Jesus, who is God with us. And now he has poured out his spirit, just as the book of Joel prophesied. So we really are living in the last days, the days of eschatological fulfillment, to use a seminary professor word. And you might say, yes, of course we're living in the last days because of the pandemic or because of the election or because of the protests over the summer, etc., etc., all that's happening in 2020. Well, yes, but so did Nero's persecution of the Christians also belong to the last days. And the barbarian conquest of Rome and the bubonic plague and the Reformation and the persecution of Christians all around the world for the last 200 years and the intensification of it even in the last century. See, the truth is we've been living in the last days for 2,000 years now. But that's not bad news. That's good news because the last days are the days of fulfillment when the Spirit is poured out on the people of God, when the good news extends from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, even to Minnesota and Hawaii and the Pacific Islands and Southeast Asia and on and on we could go. But more on that later. See, the point I want us to see is we're living in the days of God's promises being fulfilled. God is keeping his end-of-time promises. First in the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and reign of Jesus, and then in the outpouring of his Spirit, which then leads us to our next phrase. So we continue building this sentence. The mission of Christ is planned and proclaimed in the Old Testament, fulfilled on the last days by the Spirit, who is poured out on all the people of God. And I would just underline that word, all the people of God. See, in Joel's prophecy, the Lord promised to pour out his Spirit on all flesh. And this is what Peter is saying has happened on the day of Pentecost. So then all flesh obviously doesn't mean every single person in the world. Instead, all flesh, we can answer the question of who is all flesh by looking at who gets the Spirit. So who gets the Spirit here in the Joel 2 prophecy? It is sons and daughters who prophesy young men and old men who see visions and dream dreams. 
male and female servants who prophesy. So in other words, it's not just one small exclusive group within the people of God, but all of the people of God receive this gift of the Spirit, young and old, men and women, rich and poor. If you are united by faith to Jesus, then you have this gift as well. This is what makes the new covenant so great. All the people of God get the gift of the Spirit, so all the people of God are equipped for the mission that he's given to us. We see hints of this in the Old Testament. For example, Moses prays in Numbers eleven twenty nine, If only all the Lord's people were prophets, and the Lord would place his Spirit on them. Moses was praying that all of the people of God would get the Spirit the way he received it. See, most of the time in the Old Testament, the Spirit is given to prophets and priests and kings. So now then, all of God's people are prophets, priests, and kings. Because we're all united by faith to the true prophet, priest, and king, the Lord Jesus. If you are a part of the people of God, then you receive this gift. You receive this same power. You receive the enablement to be on the mission that the Lord Jesus calls his church to be about. So, while the prophecy of Joel and its fulfillment here in Acts 2 is focused on miraculous events, tongues of fire, miraculous understanding of tongues, prophecies, dreams, vision, visions. These things are one slice of a much bigger pie. They represent the broad work of the Spirit to empower the people of God for the mission he's calling us to. The gifts listed here, prophets, visions, dreams, are important. But they're not the only or even the most important evidence of the Spirit being poured out on God's people. As we read through Acts, and as we read through the rest of the New Testament, the work of the Spirit to empower his people includes, yes, gifts like tongues and healing, but the Spirit also empowers his people to endure suffering, to love their enemies, to seek to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Later in this chapter, we'll see what the Spirit does. He gives new life to 3,000 souls, and he causes them to be devoted to the teaching of the, the apostles, the fellowship of the saints, the Lord's table. They sacrifice radically for each other. They devoted their lives to the glory of God. So the point is, as the gospel spreads, as churches are established, as disciples are made, we should expect miraculous things to happen, like speaking in tongues and healing and other miraculous things, like loving the very people who hate us, like giving away our possessions, like forgiving each other, like overcoming fear and even persecution to proclaim the gospel to the people who need it most. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are the fruit of the Spirit. We can only experience these things because we have this miraculous outpouring of the Spirit. So don't undersell the work of the Spirit among us. To walk in daily obedience to our King, Jesus. To love each other as we ought to love each other. To reach out as a church to those who need the gospel. To equip and support each other as we go to the nations. These are all miraculous works of the Spirit that have been poured out on all of us if we are hoping in Jesus. So let's lean into those things together. The Spirit is poured out on every single one of us here who is truly a part of God's people. So this means that every single person here who is truly hoping in Christ shares in this mission. Every single person here is called by Christ to be a part of his mission. Yes, even you. So then, the mission, this great mission, is planned and proclaimed in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the last day by the Spirit, who's poured out on all the people of God. And then next, as Jesus establishes his kingdom in verses 19 and 20. Now, you might be wondering how in the world I'm seeing the kingdom as the main point in verses 19 and 20. We have these signs. Well, Well, first of all, I'll say whatever the signs are in verses 19 and 20, we can't separate them from what we see in verses 17 and 18. Or in verse 21, the Spirit is poured out, verses 17 and 18. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, verse 21. And in between, we have these wonders and signs appearing. They, they all go together. So it would be unnatural to read these events as happening at a different time. And this language is actually similar to what we see in places like Isaiah 13. 9 and 10. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heaven and their constellations will not give light. The sun will be darkened at his rising and the moon will not shed its light. But if we read the beginning of Isaiah 13, what's this chapter about? the judgment of Babylon, when God would send the Medes and the Persians to overthrow this great empire. These signs, however they were fulfilled, were not the end of the world, but instead represent the overthrow of one kingdom and the establishment of a new one. So we use this kind of language a lot without thinking about it. If I said, the COVID pandemic has been a world-shaking phenomenon. You wouldn't think I was saying COVID has caused literal earthquakes, right? Or when I say, when the American army, the American revolutionaries defeated the British army, the world turned upside down. 
You wouldn't say, what? The continent flipped into the Atlantic or something like that? No, no. no. The cosmic language means that events are happening that are going to change the world in irreversible ways. It's never going to be the same again. So that doesn't mean these aren't terrible things. In fact, John Calvin wrote that these symbols help us to understand this much, that the Lord will show tokens of his wrath through the whole frame of the world, which will bring men even to their wits' end, as if there had been some horrible and fearful change of nature. The kingdoms of this world are crumbling, and as they crumble, it should drive us to the kingdom of Christ. So this language, again, is similar to what we saw in Luke 24. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. So they're fulfilled at the same time as the outpouring of the Spirit, referring to the overthrow of one kingdom, the establishment of a new one, and seems to be connected to the events of Jesus' crucifixion. So if we put all this together, I think the signs in Joel are pointing to a new and greater kingdom that Jesus establishes through his death, resurrection, ascension, and seated at the right hand of the Father. Joel looked forward to the day when the Spirit would be poured out on all the people of God in a greater kingdom than any kingdom of this world would be established with Jesus reigning as king. So this brings us back to the question that the disciples asked Jesus in Acts 1-7. Will you restore the kingdom to Israel? Well, the cosmic signs in Joel 2 look forward to the time when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord, Jesus Christ. So Peter's going to unpack this more in the rest of the sermon, and I don't want to delve too deeply here. But again, when you put this together with the outpouring of the Spirit, we have the outpouring of the Spirit on the people of God and the establishment of Jesus' kingdom hand in hand. So this should transform the way we think about our mission, shouldn't it? The sun has been darkened. The cosmic order has been transformed because the prince of the power of the air has been cast from his throne. Jesus is reigning as king. He has all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And we go to the nations on the basis of that authority, the authority of our King Jesus, empowered by the Spirit who is poured out not just on a pastor or a bishop or a particular person, but on all of us. So then our mission is not based on our own cleverness, on our own political power, on our own wealth or influence. Our mission has a much greater authority than any of those things. And it will outlast any of those things. Even in 2020. So the mission of Christ is planned and proclaimed in the Old Testament, fulfilled on the last day by the Spirit, who is poured out on all the people of God as Jesus establishes his kingdom. And then the last bit, so that the gospel is proclaimed as good news for all people. 
the culmination of this quote from Joel is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the purpose and the result of everything we've seen so far. God keeps his covenant promises, pours out his spirit, establishes a kingdom so that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. To cry out for, well, in Joel, they're crying out to Yahweh, the God of Israel, the creator and ruler of all things. As Peter proclaims this text, the Lord is who? It's the King, Jesus. We call upon, we cry out to Jesus to be saved. This is the message that Jesus has entrusted to us, his church, to take to the nations. In a few chapters in Acts, we're going to meet a new character who we now know as St. Paul. But he's not a saint when we first meet him, is he? He would later come to see King Jesus as his only hope. And he would later write a book to the church in Rome, quoting this same text from Joel. In Romans 10, 13, Peter, or excuse me, Paul quotes the same text from Joel chapter 2. He says in Romans 10, 9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me stop for a moment and call on you to cry out to Jesus. He is our only hope of salvation. He died and rose again to pay the price, to defeat sin, to win the victory over death. So are you trusting in him alone? Kids, are you trusting in him alone? Not that you come to church. Not that your friends or your parents are Christians. But that you are hoping in Jesus. And so this message is for everyone who's listening to me. Kids and adults, men and women, people in the sanctuary, people watching online, and yes, even people in the commons. Just as the Spirit is poured out on all who trust in Jesus, the call to trust in Jesus is given to all indiscriminately. The message of the gospel has moved from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. As we're empowered by the Spirit, we, the church, continue to push this message further and further to the ends of the earth. We proclaim it in Lakeville, in Burnsville, in Apple Valley, in Farmington, 
all throughout Minnesota, all over America, all over the world, through North America and Asia and Africa and the Pacific Islands, the message is the same. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved. This is why we send global partners out from this church, because this message and this mission continue today by the power of the Spirit. We press this message further to the ends of the earth. We want new people to hear this message. We want to equip faithful pastors who will be able to go further than we can. So, yes, we have a a meeting after the service to talk about our ministry. I'd love for you all to stay and pray and give to that ministry. But regardless of whether you're part of that, our family's ministry— We can't lose sight of why we are given the Spirit for the mission that Christ has entrusted to his church. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the message we hold fast to. This is the message we proclaim. And so that's exactly what we're going to do as we come to the table in a few minutes. We come to the table together Not because we have our acts together, but we come to the table because we recognize that we need to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. As we come, the Spirit who is poured out on us nourishes us and strengthens our faith in the Lord Jesus. And so we say, whoever calls on the name of the Lord is welcome at the table of the Lord. As we partake of the elements together, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, as 1 Corinthians 11 reminds us. We proclaim through coming to this table that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that hasn't changed. And that will not change now or until the Lord returns. So in Acts 2, Peter stands up to interpret what has happened. These men are not drunk. No, the mission of Christ that is planned and proclaimed in the Old Testament is now being fulfilled as the Spirit is poured out on all the people of God. And as Jesus establishes his kingdom so that the gospel is proclaimed as good news to all people without exception, pandemic or no, mask or no, restrictions or no, the work of the Spirit continues. And the message that the Lord Jesus has given to his church remains the same. So like me, you may be weary. Like me, you may feel weak. But God loves to use the weak to display his power. God loves to use the weary to show that he is the one who is strong. So let's lean into the Spirit together. Let's continue to press forward in the mission he's given to us, his church, by his power and for his glory in the rest of 2020 and beyond as long as the Lord gives us life and breath He gives us power for this great mission. 
So I'm going to sit down in just a minute. But before I sit down, I want to ask us to take just a couple of minutes for prayer to reflect on the unchanging mission of Christ, to reflect on what he has given to us and what he has called us to do and prepare to come to the table in those moments and then Pastor Dave will lead us into communion with the risen and reigning Christ. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.